this life is over, what's next? What happens after that? What, what, is, the, what is the next chapter in our lives? You know, if you're reading a, a review of a movie or maybe a book review, this, this happens to me sometimes if you're, if you're trying to figure out something, there, there often will be a line in there that says spoiler alert. And what that means is we're about to give you some details about how this story is going to end. And if you don't want to know how it's going to end without seeing it for yourself or experiencing it for yourself, then this is going to spoil it for you. So it's a spoiler alert. For the next four weeks, we're going to give you a spoiler alert to this book. Is that okay? And we're going to talk about how the story ends. We're going to talk about the end of the world. We're going to talk about the end of times. What does it mean for the world to come to an end? How do things wrap up? What is the end of the story? We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about some biblical words that you hear sometimes. And even some words that are theological words that aren't necessarily in Scripture, but they're words that we use to describe what Scripture teaches us about. You'll hear words like tribulation and millennium. We'll talk about those things next week. But this morning, we're going to talk about the subject of the rapture. And the the note sheet that's in your bulletin this morning is a little bit different than what's normally in there. We've put some, some areas where you can fill in the blanks and loaded it up with the Scriptures that hopefully this might help you as you uh, consider this. And if you want to do some more, study on your own. But this morning, we're going to talk about this subject of the rapture. And this is, this is an interesting subject. Now, rapture isn't a biblical word. It's a word that theologians use to describe something that Scripture talks to us about. And this is, this, this whole area, it's really interesting. Because once you start talking about the end times, eschatology, how things are going to wrap up, what does it mean for Jesus to come back again? Once you start talking about these things, it gets a little, it can get, it gets a little touchy, right? Because people believe different things. This has been a subject that has caused much dissension in the church over the years. There have been many seminary classes that have turned ugly over these conversations. People have lost friendships because they've thought different things about this area of theology, about what does it mean for Jesus to come back again. Now, Scripture doesn't necessarily just map out for us a one, two, three, four. This is exactly how it's going to be. It gives us insight into different things as we consider this. So as we talk about what could potentially be for some of us, especially if you have maybe studied some of these ideas in your own theological studies, or if you come from a faith background or tradition that might be a little different, this could potentially be a contentious thing. So before we even jump into it, let me, let me just tell you two things that for us are the foundation for all of this. Number one, we believe that Scripture teaches us that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that He is the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. Agreed? Amen. Okay, so we start there. Second thing we can agree on is we know this. Okay, if the only way to heaven is Jesus, we also know that at some point Scripture tells us Jesus is coming again. Agreed? So we agree on those two things. All the gray stuff in the middle, we're just trying to figure out, right? If you go back and look at the Christmas story, how many people had it all figured out and got it right and were just right there at the manger waiting for Jesus when he showed up? Not that many. And if all the brilliant people didn't get it right the first time, what makes us think the brilliant people are going to get it right the second time? I'm, I'm kind of convinced that even the most brilliant prophecy scholar, when Jesus comes back, is actually going to go, uh, oh, that's what he meant. 
But we have the responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to look at Scripture and to do our very best to understand what did Jesus mean, what did Paul teach, what was Peter talking about when he spoke of Jesus' second coming. So today we're going to talk about this subject of the rapture. There are a lot of questions that we could consider because there's a lot of things that are unknown. So here's what we're going to do. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, whether it's in a print or a digital form, I want to encourage you to do that, whether you're right here in the sanctuary with us. We welcome you if you're over in Auditorium 2 or if you're watching online. Grab your scriptures with us because we're going to dig into 1 Thessalonians 4, talk about this for a few moments. I want to answer five rapture questions today. Kind of breeze through the first two and then, and then spend a little more on the last three. Five rapture questions about the rapture. Here's the first question, very basic. Number one, what is the rapture? First question, best thing for us to consider. When we talk about the rapture, what is it that we're talking about? Let me give you a definition of the rapture this morning. The rapture is when Jesus will come down from heaven and meet believers in the air to take them to be with him forever. This is a biblical theological definition. What is the rapture? The rapture is when Jesus will come down from heaven and meet believers in the air to take them to be with him forever. Well, Chad, where do you get that definition? Well, it comes right from Scripture. Listen to this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the definition of the rapture, we have it right there. You know what I thought would have been, would have been kind of cool today if we'd, have, if we'd have planned ahead and we could have done this? What would have been cool is be for those of us that were here kind of early or on time, if we had made plans that at a certain point we would have slipped out the fire exit and we would have walked out of the room and everybody brought an extra set of clothes and just laid them out on the seat. And, and then when people who were late came in, wouldn't that be freaky? And then it'd be, I guarantee you they'd never be late again. They'd at least catch the live stream at home if they thought they were going to be late, right? Funny, <laughs> I think I'll want to do that sometime. <laughs> but think about when it actually happens. Not funny. It's going to be chaos. I mean, we can't even begin to think about stats or numbers. I don't know how many born-again, Bible-believing um, people who have experienced Christ's salvation there are in the United States, but we just know that enough. You, you, take, you take the Christians out of Toledo, and you think of what that will mean for business. You think of what that will mean for cars cruising down the highway. You think about, I mean, you've, you've read the books, you've seen the movies, you've heard the different things. What kind of chaos, what kind of difference will that make when this actually happens? And scripture says it's actually going to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us another glimpse into this idea. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. He says, it is coming. Do any of you, you've been around the church for a long time, do you, do you remember the old hymn, changed in a twinkling of an eye? Does anybody, anybody remember that song? Seriously, like three of us. Good, Bob. I'm glad you're with me. I never liked it, apparently. So, I mean, it's just... Uh, and then do you, remember, do you remember the old one? Some glad morning when this life is over. All right. 
It's an old song called I'll Fly Away, and kind of an old hymn of the church. We, we had a professor in Bible college. His name was David Drake. I think when we had him in class, he was, what, three, 400 years old at that time, and just this just cantankerous old guy. And he, he would start every class and say, does someone have a hymn they want to sing? Call out the name of a hymn. And we'd, we'd sing a hymn at the beginning of the class. And he'd go, call out the name of a hymn you want to sing. And if anybody ever said, I'll fly away, he'd say, go ahead. Anyone have another? old oldie but a goodie that's what the rapture will be number two then second question we got to consider if jesus is going to come down number two who goes up in the rapture jesus comes down but who goes up this is a great question for us to consider and paul right here gives us the answer he basically breaks it down into two ideas first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What does he mean when he says the dead in Christ? He's speaking of those who were followers of Jesus, but had died. Their bodies were no longer living, even though, as Paul tells us, and we'll, we'll talk about this in two weeks, even though their, their spirits, even though their person was in the presence of Jesus, their bodies had no life left in them. They were in the grave. They were in the ground. And what Paul says is this, first group of people to go up in the rapture, the dead in Christ will come up from the ground to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ will come up from the ground to meet the Lord in the air. To which some of you said, cool, I knew there'd be a zombie apocalypse, dude. It's not what he's talking about. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying in that moment, something incredible is going to happen. And those who are dead will come up out of the ground. We don't know what it's going to look like. We, We can't really completely imagine this. We just know that those who had loved Christ will then, who have passed away... Go up to meet him in the air. The reason this was a big deal is because the Christians that Paul was writing to, and this is the book called Thessalonians. He was writing to some people in a city called Thessalonica. Those he was writing to were fearful because they had loved ones who had died. Jesus hadn't come back yet, and they didn't know what that meant. They were concerned about those that they cared for. Were they going to miss the second coming? Were they not going to be able to take part in this blessed hope that they had? So here's what Paul writes to them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Paul makes this point here. He says, look, those who have died before us who are alive, when Jesus returns, they will go up in the rapture first. We don't know if it's in an instant. We don't know if there will be a delay. We don't know if we kind of get a show and then we go. I don't know what it's like. I just know that they will not be forgotten and left behind. And this was based on the fact that the church in Thessalonica was concerned about the state of those they loved who had died. And when we talk about this, it always raises the same question. People ask the question, well, what about, what about those that aren't in the ground but have been cremated? What about those maybe who have been buried at sea or died in an accident or in a fire or something like that? What, what do you do in a situation like that? Are they out? Do you know that a God who has complete restorative power is not hindered by cremation or deep ocean on what happens to someone's body at the rapture, right? right. 
And we, we believe that. We understand that. The other thing that's interesting for us to talk about and I think is significant is for some of us, we come from faith traditions that may be a little bit different. And some of us have, have, have learned about an idea called purgatory. And we'll, we'll, we'll hint at this a little bit more in a couple of weeks. But the idea of purgatory is not one that we find in Scripture. It is not a biblical idea. What we see in Scripture, and again, we'll, we'll get here in two weeks, but the idea we see in Scripture is that the moment this life ends, we find ourselves as followers of Christ in the presence of Christ. And so that's significant for us to realize and to look at. So Paul says, group number one, when the rapture happens, the dead in Christ will go up. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. A second group, the believers who are alive will go up to meet the Lord in the air. So not only the dead in Christ, but those that are alive will go up to meet the Lord in the air. Kind of phase two of this, this rapture. Dead in Christ, alive in Christ. And he's speaking there about the believers. And isn't it interesting? He says that Jesus will come in the clouds. We will go up to meet him in the air. This is really significant. Jesus isn't coming all the way down to earth. And we'll get into this next week when we talk about this kind of next level of things. But Jesus comes in the cloud, kind of like this holy magnet for Christians. We go up and we meet him in the air. We're joined together. And there we are with the Lord forever and it is this beautiful picture now you say who is a believer who 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 fits into this thing those who have made a confession of faith in christ jesus they know that he's their lord and savior that they're doing their best to live for him and as we go through this series we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more but if you are a follower of jesus christ not, not just somebody who goes to church every so often not just somebody who maybe reads the bible once in a while not just somebody who knows things but you actually know the lord And you know his grace in your life and you've experienced his forgiveness and you have made him the Lord and Savior of your life. Then you can know with confidence that when Jesus comes in the rapture, you will join him in that time. And some of you just last week maybe made that decision to become a follower of Christ. And you say, okay, so what do I do next? What's my next step? I would encourage you, May 3rd, we're going to have as a part of our Sunday morning service a water baptism. Jesus says that once you've made that decision to follow him, the next step in our obedience is to be baptized in water. It is a public statement of what Christ has done in our hearts. If you've not yet been baptized in water as a Christian, I want to encourage you, stop by the information center, just in front of our connection center, and uh, you can pick up a brochure that's there. You can also sign up online on our website and, and be baptized on May 3rd and be obedient in this command that the Lord has given to us. So the first question, what is the rapture we've looked at? Who goes up in the rapture? Let me take you to a third question today for us to consider. When will the rapture happen? Number three, when will the rapture happen? All right, pens in hand, paper in front of you. I'm about to give you year, month, date, hour, seconds. Are you ready? And as soon as I ever do that, start looking for another church, okay? (laughs) Let me tell you a couple of things about the timing. First thing, the timing is unknown. The timing is unknown. Do we know when the rapture is going to happen? No. And it's very clear from Scripture, the timing is unknown. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul is writing to this group of people who are concerned about this. And he says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Do thieves usually make reservations? 
While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. The truth is the timing is unknown. We don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus himself said this, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And this is really significant for us to consider because over the years, there have been many who have come out and said, I've I've got it. I cracked the code. I figured it out. Back in the 1800s, a guy named William Miller, he deducted that this is when it's going to happen. We're still here. Back in 1988, does anybody remember a guy named Edgar Wisenhut that wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988? And it didn't. So the next year, this is no kidding, he wrote a sequel. 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1989. And the added reason was, I miscalculated. But it didn't happen. You may remember an evangelist named Harold Camping bought billboards all over the U.S. in 2011. Does anybody remember that? It said Judgment Day's coming. Get ready. It was May something or another in 2011. Either he was right and we're in trouble or he was wrong. Here's the truth. No one knows the day or the hour. And just the fact that you need to know and consider if someone says they know, that means they don't. Because the Bible tells us very clearly, no one will know. We, we don't have any idea. Only the Father, Jesus said, in heaven has any idea when the timing of that will be. Which then leads us to this next thing that, that is probably, if you, if you grasp anything about the timing, grasp this. That the timing is imminent. The timing is imminent. Now that word imminent is not a word that we use very often. We, we, some of you may be like, I don't even know what that means. When I wrote it, I was writing out my notes as I was studying this week. And I wrote, you know, I want to talk about the timing being imminent. And I wrote that wrote, word imminent. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I spelled that right. I'm looking at it. I don't, I don't know if I spelled that right. And then, I'm not kidding. I said to myself, well, I must have spelled it right. Because there's no real red lines under it. <laughs> and then I said to myself, Chad, that's paper. Like I was waiting for my paper to spell check me. Which is a statement of something. So imminent, what's that mean? It means it could happen at any time. It means at any moment. It is upon us. We have it right on top of us. Throughout the New Testament, the message of the rapture is this. Don't fool around. Don't wait. Don't play around. Because his coming is imminent. It could happen at any time. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It could happen at any time. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25. You you may be familiar with it. He talks about five wise and five foolish virgins. They're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And five of them are wise and they're ready. They have oil in their lamps. Five of them do not. And they're caught unawares. Oil in our lamps don't mean anything to us. But if I said to you, is your cell phone battery charged? Now some of you just got nervous and fidgety, right? Are you ready? Because it could happen at any time. I grew up in a a church and in 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 an Assemblies of God culture where we we believe this, we teach this. And I remember when I was probably, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade, I I would get home from school and I'd be the only one home at my house. And so when I would get home, part of the procedure was... One of the first things I'd do is I'd call my mom at work. My mom and dad were both working at the time. And so I'd call my mom at work. And she was, she was always at her desk when I would call. It was just kind of that time of day. And just let her know, hey, I'm home. And if she had, you know, slave labor she needed me to do, that's when she dropped it on me. You know, that kind of thing. So I would call every day. Well, I called one day. She didn't answer the phone at her desk. I'm like, okay, I'll just I'll call her back in a few minutes. So I waited a few minutes. I called her back. She didn't answer the phone. 
at her desk. I thought, well, I'll just call, call my dad. I'll call my dad. So I called my dad. And when I called him at his office, he didn't answer the phone at his desk. As an Assemblies of God fifth grader, my natural conclusion was the rapture had happened and I missed it. <laughs> I've, told, I've told this story before. I missed it. I'm like, I'm, I'm standing in my kitchen. We used to have these things called phones that were on the wall. Do you remember that? And I'm standing there. I'm holding this thing and I'm freaking out. I'm shaking. I'm like, I missed the rapture. And I'm trying to figure out what do I do now? I knew that if anybody made it, it was my Aunt Eleanor. She was a saint. So I thought, I'm going to do like a little safety check here. So I dialed up my Aunt Eleanor. Remember, there's no caller ID. Like this was like back in the Stone Age. So I call up. There's no caller ID. Her phone rings. I'm trembling. She answers the phone. Hello. And I'm like, I'm good. I just hung up on her, right? I'm like, yes, made it. Good. It's okay. No worries. True story. Why? The rapture's imminent. It could happen at any time without warning. The Bible says like a thief in the night. Okay, one more thing about the timing. If you maybe come from a different faith tradition, or if you have maybe done extensive theological studies on your own, this is where probably for the next five minutes you're going you're gonna to wrestle with some things. I want, I want to talk the next couple of minutes about what we as an Assemblies of God congregation, what we would believe as a church, the Bible teaches about the rapture. Again, these are the things, our foundation is this. We know that Jesus is the way. We know that Jesus is coming back. There's a lot of gray in the middle. But for us as a church, let me, let me just unpack for a few more minutes why we believe what we believe about the rapture. Here's the third thing, third thing about our timing. We believe that the timing is pre-tribulation. We believe that the timing is pre-tribulation. Now, next week, we'll, we'll unpack this word tribulation. We believe that the rapture is very significant because when this event happens, it's kind of the trigger. It ushers in the beginning of this process of Jesus' second coming and the end of times and this season of creation that is between where we live now and into eternity. And the rapture is that, that trigger moment. And we believe that it happens before the tribulation. What's the tribulation? Well, next week we'll go into great detail about that whole era of history. But the tribulation is a time where God's wrath is poured out on the world. And we believe that the rapture happens before that. Any of you ever read the book of Revelation? Any of you ever watched some of those scary movies we make sometimes about this? That's the tribulation. And so we'll talk about this more next week. But we believe that the rapture happens in advance of that. Why do we believe this? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says this. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in speaking to the church, he says, look, God did not appoint us as the church to suffer wrath, to go through that wrath. So just real quickly, and, I, and I'm, I'll just be honest with you. I know that in these next few minutes, I'm doing a great injustice to this topic. Because it would take us a long time to unpack this. And I'll point you to some resources in a minute. But just for frame of reference, let me give you just, just four quick reasons why as a church we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. The first one is this. The Bible says we are not appointed to suffer wrath. The Bible says that we will not experience this. And there's a difference in, in what we mean here and what's going on. Because sometimes when we read that, people are like, what do you mean we won't suffer wrath? Have you read anything about persecution? Didn't we just see 147 Christians die in Kenya? Isn't there danger and disaster 
and natural uh, tragedy that happens all over the world. You're not telling me we're not in a time of tribulation. The difference is this. Some of the things that we see are man's wrath. Some of the things that we see are even the wrath of Satan. Some of it's just sin's result. But we have not seen God's wrath being poured out. When God's wrath is poured out, it's, it's not with distinction. It is global. It is catastrophic. It is different from even the hard times that we see. And so there's a difference between man's wrath and God's wrath. And what, um, what the scriptures say to us is that we as Christians are not appointed to suffer wrath. And there is this pattern in scripture where God brings deliverance before destruction. If you think about it, what, what's the deal with the flood? Before the flood came in Genesis, what did God do? He took his man, Noah and his family, and pulled them out of the destruction. Before God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah, what did he do? He rescued Lot and his family. There is a pattern of scripture where God brings deliverance before he brings his wrath or his destruction. Which leads us to the second thing. The Bible does not mention the church during the tribulation. The Bible does not mention the church during the tribulation. We'll dig into this next week. But Revelation chapter 4 through 19, you do not see an explicit mention of the church in those chapters. So that's part of what leads us to this idea of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Number three in this, the Bible tells us to wait for the Lord's appearing and not the signs of the tribulation. The Bible consistently tells us that we should look for the Lord to come. It never really tells us, hey, keep track of the signs and see if you can figure out when it's going to happen. Because if Jesus came after the tribulation, we could just sit back and wait till we started to see the tribulation signs and then we'd be like oh, okay i better get things ready but the story of the rapture is one that is always imminent it is always coming and even though jesus outlines the signs of his coming for us we'll see that next week the idea behind it is never for us to look for that but we're watching for jesus to come because that is that trigger event that is that trigger moment that we need to consider one last thing the bible makes a distinction between the lord coming for his people and the Lord coming with his people. Again, next week, we'll take a little more time, unpack what that means. But there's different scriptures when Jesus comes for his people at the rapture, where he comes in the clouds and we go up to meet him. And then the Bible also speaks about when Jesus will come with his people. He'll stand on the Mount of Olives and he will bring peace to the world at his second coming. You've heard of the Battle of Armageddon? Talk about those things next week. But Jesus comes for his people, but he also will come with his people. Now, some of you go, boy, this this is really interesting to me. Some of you look like you're in in a coma. Some of you, however, you're like, this is really interesting to me. How do I learn more? Quick resource, ag.org is the website for the Assemblies of God. That's the fellowship of churches that we are a part of. And if you go out to ag.org, you can find some great resources there. When you click up at the top of the page at ag.org, you'll see uh, something that says beliefs. It's up there on the screen now. And when you go down from there, there's an area that says our core doctrines. And if you click there, there's some really interesting pieces. You can send you out different articles. And then about four lines down there, it says position papers. There's a position paper that has been written on the rapture, and there you'll see even more about why we believe this as a church. And hey, I know this. I know that if you come from a different theological background, you're quick to go, hey, Chad, every one of those four things you said, I, I can point out scripture, and I can say, but, but what it really means is this. And we can go back and forth all day long. But the truth is this when it comes down to it. The truth is, Jesus is the only way to salvation, 
and he's coming back. And scripture is not a puzzle for me to solve. It's a warning for me to remember that he's coming soon, right? So let's go to our fourth question. Fourth thing for us to consider, why is the rapture important? Why is the rapture important? Well, it's important, we've already talked about this, because it's the trigger for the end times. The rapture is really important because you want to be a part of it, right? Because if you miss it, you miss it. And then we'll talk about that next week. But the rapture is so critically important. One reason is because it's a part of God's plan. In God's great plan of redemption, in God's great plan of getting us into his presence, in God's great plan of making things right between us and him, he includes this as a critical part. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10 says that Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. This is critical for us to see. This is a part of God's plan. But what we need to remember is that we live in a world that's quick to say, okay, Christian, you say Jesus is coming back, but that was 2,000 years ago, and he ain't come back yet. You really believe that? You really believe that something that crazy, something that supernatural, something that is going to happen? Really? He hasn't come back? And wake up, dude. He ain't coming back. That's exactly what people say 2,000 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And it's exactly what people were saying about 30, 50 years afterwards. When Peter wrote his epistle, listen to what he said, 2 Peter chapter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. But these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So Peter says, look, people are going to say he's not coming. He hasn't come yet. He's not going to come at all. And Peter says, look, the same God that created everything is going to come back and and destroy it so that it can be created again. And he wants them to know, do not lose hope. Do not give up. He is coming back again. So listen to what he says next. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight. And remember this, when Peter writes this, he's writing to people who are miserable. Not miserable in their faith. They're miserable in their life because they've made a commitment to follow Jesus and in a world that was in conflict to that, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their homes, they're losing their families, they're suffering persecution, they have lost wealth. The things that they've had, they are paying a price because they have decided that life in eternity is more important than life in this world. And so Peter's writing to them knowing that when they walk down the street, family members are going, when's he coming back? Where's your hope now? And listen to what he says. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. I love that line. Because when Peter talked to them, he didn't call them brother and sister. He didn't call them church. He didn't call them, hey, you. Did you see what he called them? Dear friends. Some of you are suffering. 
Some of you are suffering because this life isn't everything you thought it was going to be cracked up to be. Some of you have experienced tragedy you never thought you'd see. Some of you, your body is experiencing physical struggle that is just nothing short of excruciating. Some of you look at life in this world and you just wonder, maybe even what's it worth? And you've put your hope in Christ, but today is really rough. And Peter writes to you, and he doesn't call you church, and he doesn't just call you brother and sister. He doesn't get formal. He doesn't say, hey, you. He says to you, dear friends, let me give you a little word of encouragement. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So recognize this. When you're down, when you're discouraged, just because he has not come yet, it does not mean that he's not coming at all. He is coming again. And when we look at that, isn't that the whole point of Easter? That Jesus who was dead is alive again. And because of that, there's resurrection that comes to us. So not only is this whole rapture thing a part of his plan, but the rapture is at the heart of our hope. That's why the rapture is important. Because our hope, our faith, it's just worthless. It's, 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 what's Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? If Jesus isn't risen again, then we are pitiful people. We are among all people to be pitied. Because we're putting our faith in something that doesn't last. But here's what the rapture tells us. The rapture tells us that Jesus is coming again. And when he does, he brings with him life. Here's what the the Bible calls this. It says, while we wait, this is Titus chapter 2 verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. When I was probably, I'm going to guess like a sophomore in high school, I remember my, my pastor at that time preached a, a message one Sunday morning. Pastor Steve Sparks, Warren First Assembly, stood in the pulpit. I remember the first words he said in the sermon. I remember the last words. They were the same. And he stood up on that morning and he said, let me ask you a question. Did you wake up today and ask yourself, Could today be the day? Did you wake up this morning with an expectation, with hope, and say, could today be the day that Jesus comes back? I remember this so clearly, in part because the sermon was so impactful. I also remember it because there was a guy that was in my class at school who was dating a girl whose grandma went to my church. Did you follow that? Guy, girl, grandma. Which means sometimes grandma said, girl, you're coming with me, which meant girl said, guy, you're coming with me. I don't know that he was a Christian. I just know that he liked that girl and grandma made him go to church. And he would stop me in the hall. I remember him standing in the locker room. For for weeks afterwards, he'd come up to me and he'd go, Did you ask yourself, could today be the day? Did you ask yourself, could today be the day? And he'd do it. And I think he did it just kind of to spite me. And oftentimes it bugged me. Because oftentimes that was the first time that day that I'd thought about it. But I also think he asked the question a lot because he was thinking about it himself. It stirred something in him. I'm pretty sure he was thinking about it more than I was thinking about it. Did you wake up this morning and ask yourself, 
Could today be the day? Because it's our hope. Which leads me to one last question. How should we live while we wait for the rapture? Because if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we're waiting for this day. It is our blessed hope, Paul says. So how should we live while we wait for the rapture? First thing, we should live encouraged. The rapture is good news, isn't it? As crazy as it is for us to think about this. I remember when I, was a, when I was a kid and I'd hear sermons like this. I'm like, yes, I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I just want to get married first, right? You think through those, those little things. You think you kind of line that up. Don't you know that whatever God for has, has for us there is better than what we could experience here? And that's a reality that we should live encouraged. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Just in fact, you are doing. The rapture, the truth of the rapture, causes me to live with confidence and not fear. When we talk about this today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need to be scared of this. You should be encouraged by this to know that no matter what life has ahead for us, we have hope that one day we will be in the presence of the Lord. One day we will be reunited with those that we have lost. One day we have this blessed hope that we rely on. We should live encouraged. Here's a second thing. We should live in the day. We should live in the day. Here's what Paul's talking about here. He's using that phrase to speak of the fact that we should live in the day and not in the night. Listen to what he says. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, Sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. We need to live with a sense of expectation. We need to live as if Jesus could come back at any time. We need to live our lives that the truth of the rapture causes me to live with expectation and not apathy. The truth of the rapture causes me to live with expectation and not apathy. Here's the deal. For a lot of us, we don't think about it a whole lot because we don't need it a whole lot. You look back over history. Has there ever been a time when people had it better? We've got cell phones in our pockets with information like you can't believe. We've got cars that will get us anywhere we want to go in style. We've got homes that provide us luxury and comfort and a whole lot more than just a roof over our head. And for some of us, when I talk about the rapture, or as we talk about heaven, some of you sit back and go, that's cool, I'm just not in a hurry. I got it, I got it pretty good here. I'm really not thinking about it a whole lot. And the reality is that the truth of the rapture should cause me to live with expectation and not apathy. You get home today, you're sitting on your couch, <clears throat> your phone rings. You look down, you don't recognize the number, you say hello. And uh, it, it, because it's, instead of saying blocked or restricted, it said all access. You're like, what's that? You go, hello, it's Jesus on the phone. <laughs> He's like, hey, is this Jesus? I was kind of in the neighborhood, thought I might stop by. Is that all right? Uh, yeah, Lord, that's cool. Uh, you, can I spend the night? Yeah, yeah, Lord, if you want to spend the night, that's cool. Uh, you, you've ever been to Hampton Inn? Yeah, I like the Hampton Inn, but I want to stay at your house. Is that okay? You're like, yeah, when you, when you coming? He's like, well, I'm about five minutes away. I'll be there in just a minute. See ya. What are you going to do? You're going to clean your house real quick, right? 
you're probably going to turn off what you were watching on TV. Because you're not sure if Jesus likes that show, right? You got magazines sitting out. You're like, you put Sports Illustrated on the bottom and Christianity Today on top. I was just reading about you, Lord. You said I got a Bible in every room, two in some rooms, just because I love you, right? Here's the deal. You're going to realize real fast, five minutes isn't enough time to get ready to see Jesus. We need to live with expectation. Which brings us to one last thing. How do you live? We should live ready. We need to live ready. Knowing that Jesus could come at any time means that I live my life in a way that's ready. And it also means that I see those who are around me who do not know him. And I'm not passive about it. I'm active about it. Because I want them to know him as well. Isn't that true? See, the truth of the rapture makes me active and not passive. It drives me to see that other people know him as well. So for us as individuals and for us as a church, this should be a motivation for us. I was stoked last week that so many of you introduced me to people who said, look, they they came to church with me for Easter. I invited them to come. But we should, because we know that Jesus could come at any time, be inviting people to church more than just Easter, right? We should be challenging those to know his love and his grace who need to know it every day because we don't know what day may be the day that he comes back. And it should drive us to think in that way. For some of us, when we hear about the rapture, it freaks us out. Look, friends, the truth of the rapture means that I do not withdraw in fear, but that I witness in faith. The truth of the rapture means that I do not withdraw in fear, but that I witness in faith so that others can know him as well. And it affects the way I live my life. One last thought. Robbie Robbins was a decorated Air Force pilot in the first Iraq war. He flew 300 missions when he was there. And one day as he got back to the base, he and the group of guys that he was with found out very quickly, hey, you're being sent home. Really without any warning. War had wrapped up. Things were coming to an end. And as a result, they were downsizing the force that was there. And just kind of all of a sudden, they found themselves on a plane. They flew from where they were in Iraq to Massachusetts. And they began this process, he and his buddies, of getting back to their home. And so they drove from Massachusetts to Western Pennsylvania. And uh, it was along. They drove through the night. They didn't call anybody. Nobody knew that they were coming. And they pulled up, he and his buddies, to, to his house. And he got out and he said goodbye. And as he got out of the, the vehicle and started walking up to his house, on his garage door was a big banner that said, Welcome home, Daddy. He's like, how did, how did that happen? Nobody called them. They didn't know I was coming home. I didn't call them. The military didn't let them know. I know this for a fact. How did that banner end up on my garage door? Listen to his own words. He says, when I walked into the house, the kids, about half-dressed for school, screamed, Daddy. Susan came running down the hall, and she looked terrific. Hair fixed, makeup on, and a crisp yellow dress. How did you know, I asked. And listen to what she said. I didn't. She answered through tears of joy. Once we knew the war was over, we knew you'd be home one of these days. We knew you'd try to surprise us. So we were ready every day. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. But the war's over. We talked about him winning that last week, didn't we? And we don't know when he's coming back. Bible says he's going to try to surprise us. We just know that he will. 
So we need to be ready every day. So let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And some of you can say in your heart, He is my Lord, He's my Savior. I know I'm ready when He comes. And my hope for you with this message is that you'll live with an increased sense of expectation. Knowing that Jesus is coming soon. But my real heart today is that some of you, as I talk about being ready, you know you're not. You know that if the rapture happened today, you wouldn't find yourself in the air with him. You'd find yourself here afraid. If the rapture had happened this morning, it wouldn't have been just some kind of little trick or stunt. You'd have walked in here and the church would have been gone and you would have wondered, what next do I do? Look, this isn't a fear tactic. I'm not trying to scare anybody into anything. My question is just, are you ready? If today was the day, would you be ready with Jesus as your Lord and Savior to meet Him in the air? And if you're here today and you say, Chad, I don't know that I'd be ready, but I know that I want to be. And today, I need to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Whether you're right here in the auditorium, if you're in the auditorium too, maybe you're watching online, but you say, today, I'm not ready, but I want to be. Would you just raise your hand just right now? I'm not ready, but I need to be. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Anybody else thinks, I'm not ready, but I need to be. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior today. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you here in a moment. Anybody else? Thanks. I'm not ready, but I know I need to be. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. We're going to pray together. Here's what I ask. If you're here today and you raised your hand, or if you know you're ready and you're looking forward to that day, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, change my life, I give myself to you, and I look forward to the day when you will come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you you raised your hand just a moment ago and you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, I'm encouraged you to stop by our Connection Center. There's some friends there that would love to talk with you, pray with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Thanks for being here. Go in his special favor. It's wonderful. Peace. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.